Hi, welcome to Unrepresented, a podcast series that identifies and explores issues of representation through media, technology, public leadership, business, nonprofits, and much more. This episode, I'm going to fangirl a little bit. We will be speaking to Rebecca Belcarcel, children's book author, poet, English teacher, YouTuber, and speaker at this year's Texas Book Festival. That's actually where I first heard about her. She was promoting her incredible children's book, Shine On, Loose Fellas, and I just knew I had to speak with her. We talk about her upbringing and culture as a Guatemalan American, what inspired her to write a story about a young Latina discovering her love of STEM, and a few more surprising details. You won't want to miss it, so tune in to my conversation with Rebecca Valcarcel. Hello, today I am absolutely honored to be speaking with Rebecca Belcarcel, children's book author, poet, English teacher, YouTuber, and panelist at the 2022's Texas Book Festival, which I had the privilege of hearing her speak. And first question, I just want to get started by getting to know a little bit about yourself. So you grew up in Iowa till you were 10, moved to Texas where you've lived ever since. Can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what role your heritage played throughout it? Sure. Yeah. And it's so great to be here, by the way. I guess the the formative things in my life um, include like my dad, who is Guatemalan, and my mom, who went into the Peace Corps and was sent to Guatemala. And that's how they met. And they almost stayed in Guatemala, but they decided to move back to the United States. So that was one big change in my life that happened before I lived actually. But that set up, you know, a bicultural home. And it was interesting because you would think I would have learned Spanish, but no, because in Iowa, it wasn't a priority. And my dad's big priority was to learn English. And my parents actually would talk to each other almost like they had a secret language. And that was Spanish. And then they would talk to me in English. So I missed out I'm becoming fully bilingual, although I'm working on it. And then, you know, there were no other biracial couples or bicultural couples and families in my town or even on television in a movie. Um, There was Lucy and Ricky Ricardo. (laughs) So Lucille Ball and and the show I Love Lucy. And he uh, was Cuban. And so I realized, oh my gosh, he has an accent like my dad. And oh my gosh, he, you know, has a few little mannerisms that are similar, but that was the only representation out there. And I found myself really feeling like I had to choose sides. Like when we were with my Latino family, I could, you know, enjoy the tamales and the the kind of banter and try to keep up with the Spanish. And when we were with my mom's side of the family, you know, I was basically passing for white a lot of the time and in school too. So um, it was very vanilla and <laughs> in Iowa, and I love vanilla, but it, it just was um, quite monochromatic there. I like to say there were miles of corn and no tortillas. <laughs> But when we moved to Texas, suddenly we were in a more diverse place with more Spanish, like a Spanish radio station, a television station, and um, cultural events uh, like, you know, ballet folklorico. And so that's when I started to realize that this whole other side of myself might actually be cool or fun or worth developing. And so that was a 
that was an important thing. And I learned that I might want to be integrating instead of like compartmentalized. Yeah, I very much relate to that. My parents, I'm Puerto Rican and they moved when they were in their 20s. But there was always like a debate of moving back. And I was wonder, would I have learned? I would have learned Spanish had I moved back because I also don't fully speak it. And that's like, like now I'm trying, but it's always a frustration where it's like, I wish I would have learned that when I was really young. I want to like fully embrace like every part, but it's, it's hard. Um, it's, it's frustrating sometimes. I fully, I fully understand that. Okay. So obviously you love English, English teacher, writer. So I want to know two moments. What was the moment you fell in love with writing? And what was the moment you thought you could actually become an author, like a published author? What were those journeys like? Okay. So I can picture this very clearly. Um, the moment I fell in love with writing, I was 12 years old seventh grade and my teacher had assigned the class to write a short story and it could be about anything in the world and uh, that was a little too wide open but (laughs) but I started writing in the voice of this little boy who had a lot of you know challenges and I remember sitting on the couch handwriting you know longhand with with a pen and paper and just falling into the world of the story and just, you know, hearing the dialogue in my mind, like living inside of a virtual reality headset. And I was transported and I thought, this is magical. I want to do this. And I didn't think in terms of, I want to be paid for this or I want to make a living doing this. I just knew I want to be writing because I love this this magic that happens where you're, you're in the story and you're out of this world and your normal body and you're, you're just in the world of the story. It's absolutely amazing. And then what was the moment you thought you could actually be an author? You know, this was a slower, maybe sort of a slow motion moment. Um, I think a turning point was a creative writing class in college. So I, before that I dabbled around, I wrote little poems for holidays for my family or something. But when I took this creative writing class at a community college, um, actually the college where I now teach creative writing, it's, it's oh my such God, a sweet that's amazing. circle. <laughs> um, but that, you know, then in the nineties, I walked in as a student and I thought, oh, you know, I like to write fiction. And I, my mind was blown away when we got to the poetry unit. And I realized, oh, no, I love to write poetry, too. And the, the class just opened me up creatively in a lot of ways. And I stayed in touch with that teacher for years and years. And she was one of the people most proud when I actually had a book published so many years later. Um, but you know, it was not till 2019 that my novel first came out. So that was a turning point for sure. And it, it gave me permission to take writing a little more seriously and move it from totally a hobby into a little more of a serious hobby. <laughs> and then again, um, well, I started to submit poems after that and just poems at first to little journals that no one's ever heard of. And, um, a few were published and 
eventually I turned to an MFA program and that was another turning point of really taking myself seriously, investing some money in developing my craft. And those, you know, those two things were really big in terms of me seeing myself as a writer and being able to say to other people, I am a writer, (laughs) which is hard when, especially because their next question is, well, what have you published? And so it's hard um, to kind of self-identify until you have that validation. And the, the classes and the coursework give me that validation. That's amazing. That's that's such a beautiful journey to go on to be here now. And especially like teaching, that's so full circle. I Writing is like my first love. And like my second part of this job is getting to be a magazine writer for Latinitas as well. So like actually having that in a real life world where that's my job is crazy because I grew up writing and that was I also took a creative writing class in college so a lot of your story like very much resonates and it's it's so cool I'm so glad it's great to be writing in the world yeah so congratulations (laughs) yay so okay so before I ask any question about shine on Luz Velas I want to read a little excerpt from the description okay so Luz Velez is a soccer star, or rather, she was a soccer star. With her serious knee injury, it's unlikely she'll be back on the field anytime soon. But without soccer, who is she? When Luz discovers she has a knack for coding, it feels like a lifeline to a better self. But something, someone, is about to enter the Velez's life, and when Solana arrives, nothing will be the same ever again. Unforgettable characters, family drama, and dauntless determination illuminates Luce's journey as she summons her inner strength and learns to accept others and embrace their enduring connection of family. So, like, this is amazing. (laughs) And there's so much happening here. I'm curious what inspired this specific story, from the family drama to the, like, importance on coding and STEM and all of it. Okay. Yeah, lots of things. Um, So there's a a number of threads. Um, A big thread is the STEM and the coding and the the robotics. Um, And of course, part of me, I just thought, oh, it would be fun to write a Latina doing STEM because we don't have a lot of models out there. Um, The the numbers are discouraging. Um, Women are getting into science more, but fewer women are in the hard sciences and even the fewest are in coding and computer science. And the numbers for Latinas are, you know, correspond the same. So, um, so I thought that would be fun, but what inspired it really is (laughs) I, I had a grandfather who was a tinkerer and a builder and he was a physics teacher by day, but when I walked into his wood shop um, as a kid, I smelled all this sawdust and I saw these interesting tools. I didn't know what they were. He had electronics in there. And I just remember the feeling of creativity, you know, that you walk into this shop and anything could be created here. And so the magic of that, I wanted to capture that. And uh, the character Lewis has a friend across the street who's an elder man who basically is yeah modeled on my grandfather and his garage is a lot like that wood shop and other people in my life later um you know I have a cousin who's a computer programmer and um 
you know, other folks who got into engineering in my life. And it's just fun to be in their garages and their shops and their, their spaces where they, it's like maker spaces really, but they live there. <laughs> so, um, that all inspired that side of the, of the book. And then I, I would say the other big thread in the book is the sister that shows up in the middle. Um, so Luce is just getting her identity sort of on the computer track and the robotics track when her father reveals this big secret and a half sister comes to live with them and she's from Guatemala. And of course she speaks Spanish like the father does. And, and there's a bond between that, that father and daughter that Luz suddenly feels like she lacks, even though she's had her father her whole life, you know, but, um, this is based on real life. Um, uh, so the character of Solana is inspired by my real half sister and I just visited her in Guatemala. So that's been really fun. But I didn't meet my real sister until adulthood. I was in my 30s before I discovered that she existed. Yeah, it was a bombshell in our lives. So my father didn't know about my sister either until like she's maybe 40 or so when she finally finds out who he is and is able to contact him. And she's been on this long search for him. And finally, you know, the phone rings and while well, he's visiting Guatemala and it's her, uh, his brother answered the phone and said, it's your daughter. And he was like, why is Rebecca calling me? <laughs> and they said, no, no, not that daughter. <laughs> so it was a huge surprise and it took a little while and there was DNA testing and so on. But finally we met and it turns out she's delightful and interesting, intelligent. And I just like her as a person. So I'm lucky. That's great. Yeah. It, it doesn't always work out that way, but it did for us. But I understand why that would be like, you would want to put that in a book because that's already a plot line, like a telenovela plot line almost. <laughs> exactly. Like I have to use this. So yeah, I thought it would be neat to use somehow. And of course I daydreamed about what if we had met as children and what if I had known her sooner? So that's the daydream that, that got put into the book and really thought through and, and sort of imagined out in the book. So at first they don't get along, but you know, over time, uh, they really become true sisters. And that's part of Luce's growth because she's, defined herself in a certain way, not only as a soccer star, but also as an only child. And now she needs to see if she can become a sister. Yeah, I imagine it would have been more difficult to meet younger, like before you're, you know who you are. That, yeah, that's like a huge, and before you yeah, know who you are in your family, that's like. Exactly. Yeah, you're still figuring out your place in your family your own identity. And so this disruption is, is a bigger thing. Yeah. That's amazing though. Yeah. It makes for good drama. <laughs> yeah. Like that's so great. Okay. So you touched on it a little bit and, and maybe you've already answered it. And if you have, we can move on. But <laughs> why did you think it was essential to show a young Latina interested in STEM and maybe even like succeeding and finding joy in it? 
Mm, yeah. Well, you know, it is important that kids see the possibilities in front of them, you know, in a book or on television. It, you know, studies show that if you don't see yourself out there, it's really hard to imagine yourself in those places and spaces. So, yeah, as I mentioned, statistically, there's it's a really small number of Latinas who go into STEM fields, especially computers. So, um, yeah, I wanted to, to create that model. And actually for all kids, because computers can be a little daunting, a little intimidating. And um, there's, of course, a fun side. I think everybody loves, you know, particular games or particular things that they do with their computers, but to code, that is a whole, you know, to look under the hood, it's, uh, that could be daunting. So I wanted to, you know, inspire all kids and show that, that it's possible. And in the book, she uses Scratch. And that's a real language that is, yes, that's free online from MIT. And visitors to my website can actually find the game that she creates in the book and the code that she codes. It is fun. And I admit I didn't code all of it myself. I started to learn Scratch enough to be able to write believably about it, but I got in over my head pretty quickly. Um, so I called upon my son to give me a hand with the coding. And um, so I had to thank him for that. But it is there as a something to explore. Kids can kind of get an introduction to Scratch through, through the book. So, yeah. And, and it's just so, so important to have the models. Yeah. No, that's like, it's incredible. I tried Scratch and I was very, <laughs> like, I'm I, like, computers do not, we do not mix. And I was, <laughs> but it, it's, but it was the most um, approachable thing that I could watch tutorials and kind of get even an understanding, which is amazing for me, believe me. So I know I love that. And especially like just the representation in this book is so important because it is true. That's what we try to do with Latinitas anyway, is just like show girls of color, this could be you. You can be in these spaces. You can exist. You can be successful in them. And it's hard when there aren't a lot of role models to show, which is why we're always trying to like find role models. So thank you for creating one. Like, that's amazing. So, okay. Like yourself, Luz Velez is a Guatemalan American. How important is it for you to highlight your own heritage in the stories you create? Oh, it's so important. Well, and it's so fun. Um, and it's a way to honor my father, my my whole family. Uh, I, I realized that um, as I wanted to integrate myself and, you know, harmonize both sides of my cultural life, that I was, you know, I was going to have to move into a celebration mode instead of a kind of struggle mode. <laughs> and part of that celebration is writing characters who, who do have this element in their lives and who, you know, have the whole range of, yes, some struggle, but ultimately celebrate being who they are, which is brown and um, so far girls. I'm, I might write a book someday about a boy, but... Um, you know, the food, the music, it, it's just so rich and um, it's valuable for other uh, ethnicities too, readers of all 
types and stripes can enjoy the window as well as um, the number of Guatemalan American kids out there is probably not as high <laughs> as maybe, you know, Mexican American kids or, <laughs> you know, um, British American, German American, but everybody can get a window into a little bit of what Guatemala is. And it is so, it is such a, a tasty mouthful of, you know, wonderfulness, this, this culture. And having just returned from a trip to Guatemala, I feel like um, that some of that spice, some of that magic I can put in the book. And it, it just, it's very meaningful to me personally, but it also is a tribute. And then it's also sharing it and inviting people to enjoy it, especially given the fact that a lot of what we hear about Guatemala is very negative. So the news is going to be about, you know, migrants fleeing violence. And that is part of it. We can't pretend that there's no such thing as violence or gang activity in Guatemala. But there's so much more. A lot of people think the United States is just filled with violence, you know, from afar. And they don't realize that the average person is is living a full life here. <laughs> you know, if you're in Europe, <laughs> you know, you think, oh, you know... <laughs> <laughs> so the stereotypes we have, it's not that they're based on nothing, but that the, it's just a tiny bit. There's so much more. Yeah. Get. And I, I love the window. Yeah. Cause I mean, especially like, I don't know, you look at kids listening, like watching like Encanto or something from Disney and they just like kids of all, every type of anything just fall in love with different cultures, but they can't fall in love with it if they don't know about it. So it's like, it's so great to just like highlight and create and like share parts of yourself. Yeah. I love Encanto, by the way. <laughs> oh my God. Me too. The live version. And like Coco. The... Yes. Ugh. Coco. Coco makes me sob. Like gutturally sob. It's so good. Oh my gosh. Ugh. So, so good. So you're an English teacher, which is, first of all, thank you. Like truly thank you for your services. I have a lot of teachers in my family. It is a lot. So just thank you for existing. What is something your students would be surprised to learn about you? Huh. You know, my, I think we've all had that moment where we meet a teacher in the grocery aisle or something and you think, what? You don't live at school? What? You know, like, what are you doing here out in the world? Um, and I think my students are actually surprised that I write. I talk about it a little bit, but, you know, mostly we're working on their writing and their experience of, you know, literature. And um, I'm trying to you know, focus on them. And so my own writing life is actually, you know, it's on my resume, but it's not front and center for them. Um, so when I really start talking about my, maybe I pull an example from my work as to show them, or I mention something about the publishing world, they really like sit up straight and lean in because they're like, oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot you're a writer, you know, <laughs> I forget that, that I'm an author at all. Um, which is fine because the focus, you know, this class is not all about just me and my work. It's, it's about them and creating stuff and pulling. I mean, I'm trying to pull from them what would 
interest them, what they want to say, find their voices. And um, so that should be the focus. But they're actually pretty surprised that I'm an author. And they're very surprised that my world is bigger than the classroom. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's, that's crazy. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Because if I were you, I would have all my books on a little desk, like here, <laughs> like a little. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there are other aspects of my life that are just kind of fun tidbits. Like um, I've been skydiving. Um, I walked um, for 250 miles in Spain on a pilgrimage one time. Um, you know, it's fun to like live a life worth writing about. So. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. I I could never skydive. That's so scary. Wow. Would you do it again? Uh, You know, I think once was enough. (laughs) (laughs) I did enjoy it, but um, yeah, once, once was a thrill and I really wanted to do it, but that, yeah, Yeah. I probably won't do it again. (laughs) No, that's, that's fair. You did it. You can say you did it. So what is your go-to lesson plan or book that you know is like definitely will get kids or students interested in the subject, even if they like have an apprehension to it? Yeah. You know, um, I actually start with contemporary poetry a lot. And the poems of Mary Oliver are especially dear to me and tend to speak to students. They focus on nature. They're pretty approachable. There's always a, a line of deep insight into life. And, you know, students really want to know answers to big questions. They want me to be real with them. I mean, yes, we're learning mechanical things, but really what they hope for is to learn something to use as humans and in this world that we live in. And poetry delivers on that. Um, A lot of students come in traumatized really by poetry because they they have only seen it in you know very old language i love shakespeare but let's not start there let's let's arrive there you know so they're skeptical and they think i'm going to hate this unit i'm going to hate all the poetry and almost all of them find a poem that they actually love, that they print out and put on their fridge or that they memorize or that they put on their you know, screen as wallpaper or something. So I like to start with that. And then I like to give assignments that are a little bit creative, like come up with a tattoo for the main character of this story or um, you know, create a playlist for this book. Um, to, to bring other art forms to connect with the literature. And they tend to like that too. So yeah, but contemporary poetry and, and bringing, you know, connecting to other art, like music, like, like visual arts. That's, that's a little taste of my classroom. <laughs> that's amazing. I wish you were my teacher. <laughs> like, I mean, especially because, yeah, I, I agree. I had a I had to take a whole Shakespeare class and I, I love Shakespeare. Super great. But it is very daunting when it's like you're just trying to read a sentence like what? So I, I appreciate you starting at like understandable things because poetry is so impactful, but you wouldn't know it if you're just too scared of it. So exactly. Like, 
Right. It's scary. <laughs> yeah, it is. So we start slow and then open yeah. up the big doors later. And That's amazing. I mean, like, truly, that's great. Okay, so a potentially more serious question. How has being a teacher and a parent sort of changed the way you look at your own childhood? Especially writing about kids and stuff. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, I think the biggest thing would be empathy. As a kid living through my childhood, I I spent a lot of time worrying um, that I should be achieving more or being perfect or behaving better. Um, and I did have a lot of fun in my childhood, too. You know, I, I rode bikes and I, you know, uh, had a sandbox and, I, you know. But um, so I, I would say I had a happy childhood and I was very lucky in the parent lottery, you know, that I won some good parents um, who truly loved me and, and supported me. But there was often um, this, this understanding that I should certainly be doing my best in everything and I should be trying very hard in school, for example, and all of that. And then as a parent, I discovered, oh, wow, we need a huge amount of grace. We need a huge amount of, of like latitude, patience with our children and with ourselves as parents. And, and then like retroactively as a kid, <laughs> I, yeah, you realize that kids have a bit of an inner law that's unfolding and you have to respect that, like who they truly are. Uh, you just want to help that blossom and not get in the way too much and dictate too much. Like this is what you're supposed to do. Um, so I think, you know, now that I write about kids and I write these characters, I'm trying to give them that space to, to open up their true selves, to discover who they are and to have respect for that inner law that they have unfolding um, and, and the teacher, it's the same thing. Each of my students come in with so much uh, life experience that they, they're really an expert in certain areas that I have no knowledge of. Uh, so I respect that. And then I also try to respect the fact that they're, they're on a journey, uh, a personal journey. And in their writing, they're also on a journey <laughs> and they might have had difficult experiences around writing or around reading. And I need to, you know, understand that and help them with that. So yeah, empathy and respect. I, I think those are the things that now in my roles as teacher, as parent, I can really, yeah, focus on, I'm still working, you know, to be a better parent, better teacher all the time. Um, but I hope that deepens my writing. I hope it, gives a level to my characters of um, that inner life that they, they have and that I'm trying to respect that and develop that and show it on the page because my readers also have the inner life and the big questions. And um, so it's a way to respect the reader too. Yeah. yeah. You absolutely can't talk down to children yeah. in your writing for them, by the way, <laughs> like they, 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 oh God, no. they sense it. No. They know. They sense yeah. it. They know. Yeah. No, I appreciate that so much. Looking back now as I guess more of an adult, 
it's like, I think about how crazy it is that as children, you're learning everything for the first time and you're expected to do everything perfectly the first time. It's baffling to me, like Uh, wild. Yes. (laughs) It's just like, I fully, yeah, I fully um, agree with patience and just being like, it takes time. Everything takes time. I understand you're going through a lot because you're also digesting everything as it's happening, trying to figure out who you are and what anything means at any given time. It's just crazy. It's it's exciting and overwhelming and and amazing that we can survive it. (laughs) I know. Like looking back, I'm like, you were going through so much and you didn't even know. Yeah. Like just just every day. (laughs) It's crazy. And there's also like that beginner mind where you're open to things, you're willing to try things. And, and that, I think we lose that a bit as adults, we start to feel like, well, now I know everything, but no, there's so much more. And, um, yeah, it's good. You have to to protect that. You have to really like, cause if you have one bad experience as a kid, then you're like, Oh, I don't like this. Cause I had that experience. That was my first experience. (laughs) So you have to try and make every experience be like, if you don't like it, that's okay. But if you do, I will never (laughs) swim again. Yes. Yes. You could possibly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just like my boyfriend had one bad experience at a dentist and now he like, he will not make a dental appointment. And I'm just like, please, and it's like, but those experiences are strong and it was like traumatic. And I'm like that. I get it. <laughs> it's just like they are. Yeah. Our experiences as children and especially teenagers, it really makes a deep imprint in, in the brain, like chemically. And um, so, I mean, I, that, I think that's partly why I like to write about that age group is that it's intense and that's more fun. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's the most intense, like 13, like young teen, I really think is like, I think I was the most stressed at that age. That was the most intense. Everything else has been like, okay, compared to that time. Compared to that. Me too. (laughs) So, so, so we're doing pretty good right now. But, um, so, okay. So I want to know last question, but I don't know if it's necessarily a question. Do you have any upcoming projects slated to come out this year or any things you're currently working on that you could let us know about like what's happening in your life? I do. Yes. Um, I'm very excited that in June an anthology will release and it's called Boundless. Let me see if I can get the subtitle right. 20 Voices Celebrating Multicultural Multiracial Identities. Ooh, I think okay. that's a mouthful, but basically I, um, co-edited this anthology with an author named Ismay Williams, and she and I invited authors to contribute stories of their bicultural, uh, heritage. So it's fiction, but it's a collection of 20 short stories. Um, Erin oh. Entrada Kelly contributed, um, Vera Hiranandani Jasmine Warga, those are all Newberry winners. Yeah, it's like a star-studded cast. <laughs> and I also contributed my story as well. Um, it's called The Haffy's Guide to Mexican Restaurants. So there's a little teaser. <laughs> oh my God, stop. That's such a cute title. <laughs> and it's in second person, which I wanted to experiment with, you know, writing in the you point of view. So that was a little bit of an artistic stretch for me. That was fun. So I'm, I'm excited because the collection as a whole, it explores, you know, being 
black and Hispanic or black and white or Jewish and Hispanic or uh, just all the lots of variety. We have two indigenous contributors who are also, you know, they have different intersections <laughs> of identities. So um, it's a very diverse book and all the stories are, I love every single one of them. So I'm excited for that to come out. And then I am working on a new novel, so we'll see. Um, it's not under contract yet, but um, I'm on chapter 45. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, so you're... Probably there'll be 60, okay. 65. So. so 75-ish percent um, through. Yeah. And you're excited about yes. it? You really like and like I am excited, yes. Um, so the main character is adopted from Guatemala to the United States. And she's going back to Guatemala as a 12 year old to meet her birth family. Oh, and so there's, that's going to be yeah a big thing for her. And, and then there's also some um, environmental uh, devastation impending that uh, she wants to help uh, solve or, you know, prevent so, yeah, so we have a family thread and then also a climate change environment I really thread. like that. You have, like, yeah. you always set up a really interesting dynamics in your books, I feel like. Like, it, like it, it almost, like, it creates the drama. The, like, that's... <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. I hope so. I... <laughs> we'll see. But thank you, yeah. I, it takes me a while to come up with a new book idea. I mean, I can spend a year sort of daydreaming and, you know, watching the world and looking for something useful um, and worth writing a book about. Yeah. So it, it can take a while, but yeah, hopefully it's working. Yeah. I mean, it means if you land on it, you really care about it. So that's, that's great. No, it has been an absolute like pleasure delight speaking to you thank you so much for just sharing your experience and your heart you're so nice it's um, been a complete pleasure too to talk with you this is really fun um it's it's just fun to to share with folks who also love stories and love language and talking about my favorite thing books <laughs> So thank you. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I love the work you're doing with this podcast and, and everything. So good luck with that. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with the amazing Rebecca Belcarcel. She has such a calming presence and was so open to sharing her life and experiences with me. I couldn't be more grateful. She's also an amazing writer, so go check out her book, her YouTube, all her social media will be linked below. Until next time, I'm Camila de Jesus, and this is Unrepresented.